We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, it's Abbey Nation Sports Talk. We're up and rolling along with Jesse Styers and his silky, satiny, shiny Dallas Cowboys hat. I'm Sean Styers. That looks smooth. Where'd you get that? Uh, I found it on the internet. I can't remember where, but it was like on sale for 20 bucks. So I had nice. to buy it. Very nice. Vince and I were talking last night about I saw the new Mission Impossible over the weekend vince wants to go see indiana jones he didn't sound as thrilled about mission impossible if like if i posed it to you would you take one over the other like which which would you rather see mission impossible and what's the other one indiana jones see i never really got into either but i guess i would say i would be more interested in mission impossible yeah i found it pretty entertaining i've i i I don't I mean, I, I think I've seen all but maybe one Indiana Jones. The first one, I, I still think, is the best one. And the second one was not very good. There have been some okay ones since then. But I'd go see it. It's just a little long. Mission Impossible is a little long, like we talked about last night. But uh, there's a lot of action in it, as you would expect from Mission Impossible. It goes very quickly. So I don't, I don't know. I haven't really heard the indiana jones side you know like uh is it is it a quick two and a half hours or 240 or whatever it happens to be but you're you're da- yeah i just noticed you're dallas out from uh head to toe you got both the hat and the t-shirt today are you sending a message to somebody no messages uh i'm just getting excited for i've just uh i i've had this shirt on today and I've been running behind. I've been working all day up until six o'clock. Um, and so then I realized that I didn't have time to change and my hair looked really bad. So I decided to put a hat on and this is the one that was going to match kind of what I got going on today. Yeah. All right. I like it. I like it. I like where your head's at. Uh, Derek says Mission Impossible. Who wants to watch Jay Peterman with the whip? Suspect. <laughs> Jay Peterman with a whip. That's uh, Harrison. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Rules changes. is That's what we're going to talk about today. What college football rule would you change? We've got plenty of Notre Dame stuff coming up in rapid fire. Some Marcus Freeman stuff, some Brian Kelly gap closing stuff. We've got that coming up a little bit later. 
I saw someone tweet the other day, it was, you know, what would you change about college football? And a lot of different replies. We, you know, we've got some suggestions coming in here. Right off the top, the one that I saw the most was the targeting rule. What do you think about the current college targeting rule? And what would you do with it, Jesse? Do you think it needs to be changed? If so, how would you how would you reconfigure the targeting rule in college football? Yeah, so the targeting rule to me familiar uh, penalties in college football because I don't think it's called in a fair enough and consistent manner. Um, and it That's has every college football penalty is not <laughs> called consistently. Yeah, but I guess what makes it the magnitude greater for this one is it has an impact on players. Big impact. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, like the, the potential to, you know, be suspended an entire half. Um, that's large implications, especially for, you know, maybe it's your best defensive player. Maybe it's your best linebacker. Maybe it's your best, you know, secondary player. I think that the, that there should be, um, cause what is the current rule right now? Like if you get two in a game, you get an automatic or no, if you get no, one in a current, game current rule, if you're flagged for targeting, you're ejected immediately. And right. it is, it is for whatever half you're playing in plus the next half. So like if you're ejected in the first half, you're just ejected for the rest of the game. If you're ejected in the second half, you're also ejected for the first half of the following game. But it is, you know, it is immediate ejection if you are deemed to have targeted the opposing player. Yeah, so my my amendment to the rule would be incidental targeting. I think you should get a warning and then after that, your second your second offense in the same game I think that's when you should start to get the ejections. Um, and I, I do still think, though, that if there is malicious intent, like, but that that's the thing is you can't you can't come up with vague rules because then it, it, you have to interpret what's malicious and what's not malicious. Yeah. But I, I think that in order to solve this, there should be a, a warning at first. And then the second offense should get you the final ejection. I, I think with two, there's too much writing on the line and there's too much interpretation of the rule at the college level that a 15 yard penalty should be assessed on the first one. And then the second one, you should get, um, you should get kicked out. You should essentially get a warning um, before getting an ejection in my opinion. And that's, that's a big part of like, there's so much like every flag that's thrown is subjective anyway, but when it comes to this particular penalty, the targeting penalty there is so much subjectivity from one official to the next, I think. Who happens to be replaying it? Who happens to have thrown the flag initially from you know one incident to the next? It is it is not cut and dry. Like in the NFL, you know, NFL officials still make mistakes, but by and large, you don't see a lot of, you know, like once it goes to instant replay, you know, it's it it seems relatively cut and dry either it is or it is you know and again like there's no targeting in the nfl i'm just saying once a play goes to replay in the nfl there's a lot less arguing after the fact i think either either you know replay holds it up or it doesn't you know now there are obviously still some times where you go well was that you know was that a catch was that not a catch you know can they overturn it based on what you're seeing but 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I agree with what you're saying with the targeting. The automatic ejection just seems too severe because of the fact that there, it, it's so uneven, so inconsistent with the way that it's called. I, I think, you know, first offense for a player in a game, it's a 15-yard penalty. It's personal foul, just like any personal foul. And like Ty is saying, treat it like a yellow card, red card system similar to soccer. And I think that's kind of what he's getting at and kind of what you said. First offense is just a 15-yard penalty. Second offense, then you're ejected. You know, like now you know, you know, there's, there's something you're going to, you know, steer more clear of it. I think, you know, I, I just think it makes it makes too much sense. They've tried to tweak this a little bit over the last couple of years, but I, I just I still think there's too much open to interpretation. You know, like sometimes you see, you know, what appears to be, a, you know, a, a, a defender hitting a shoulder first and then his helmet ends up, you know, into the helmet of the player that he's tackling after the initial contact was, you know, like around the shoulder. And then it, you know, you end, but it still ends up being called for targeting. I just think it's, I think it's too severe the way they're calling it right now to have the ejection, you know, on on the first instance. I think it needs to be second instance in a game. Or and you could even say, you know, go back to the last game if you want. You know, like if you're going to say, you know, just kind of tweaking it a little bit. If you have a a targeting in consecutive halves, then you're you're also ejected for the next half something like that. But I think it needs to be on the second one, not the first one. Yeah. And it's, again, it's the, the NFL seems to do it right. Right. Like the first one you get 15 and then the second you get 15 and ejection. It's just, you would like to see similar rules across the board. I, I think that's kind of the frustrating part is, you know, I, I understand that certain rules make sense in college compared to NFL, like the, the larger or sorry, the wider hash hash marks and stuff like that. But there's certain rules to me that need to carry over from college to NFL to allow for a better transition and just smoother overall gameplay, uh, in my opinion, as well. Right. Ty says he would change the fair catch rules on kickoffs, whether it's fair caught inside the 25-yard line only. You get the ball at that spot plus five yards, but the furthest you can go is the 25-yard line. Hmm. I don't think you'd see very many fair catches. I think that, and I'll let you kind of talk about this as someone who's played much more recently, 
Jesse. Uh, you know, I think the reason that they went to this fair catch is to incentivize teams to make a fair catch so they can get it at the 25 because they were trying to eliminate hits. I get what Ty is saying. Like, you know, obviously if you fair catch it inside the five and then you're going to go out to the 25 yard line, that's that's a pretty big bonus. What do you think of the fair catch rule and, and the tweak that Ty's talking about here? So I changed the fair catch rule wherever it's caught inside the 25 yard line only. You get the ball at that spot plus five yards, but the furthest you can go is the 25-yard line. So to me, I don't I don't necessarily have too much of the issue with the kickoff and the fair catch situation. I think that because the thing is, is if you fair catch it, you, you automatically get it at the 25. And obviously what they're trying to do is reduce the impact of, you know, serious plays on kickoff. Yeah. I don't really mind it too much to be honest with you um so i i don't like i like the idea but i don't have an opposition to the current rule as is how about you yeah i don't either because of what you said you know the the fact that they're trying to cut down on those collisions on kickoffs and that's the only reason they went to this fair catch rule is try to incent to try to incentivize teams making the fair catch to cut down on the collisions so it's like, well, you make the fair catch regardless of where it is, you're going to get it at the 25-yard line. Right. Targeting is my number one. You know, we just talked about it, but that is the number one I would change. Number two for college football. And these are really my big two. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, can kind of go either way on a lot of different ones. But, you know, if, if our listeners have suggestions, obviously feel free to shoot them at us. We've got a few more. But the instant replay challenge system, in college, really, there is no true challenge system for a coach. Like you can call timeout and tell the official, hey, you know, you need to look at that or whatever, but that's it. I don't understand why this is so complicated for college. Like why every single play is up for review why can't they just you know because like they talk about cutting down on time of the game and all that stuff and they've already changed rules of the game now with letting the clock run after the spot of the ball on a first down all these all these instant replays in college football when any play is subject to review is just infuriating just go to the nfl challenge system coaches get two challenges a game if they fail a challenge, they lose a timeout. If he successfully challenges, no timeout is charged. And then in the final two minutes of the game, it automatically goes to the booth. So you don't have to worry about, you know, using a challenge. And obviously every scoring play goes up for review as well. I I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't understand, you know, and, I, and obviously you throw the, you know, your red flag if, if you want to challenge. I don't understand why college doesn't go to that. Do you like the college challenge system or should they just go to what the NFL is, has already shown is a pretty good system? So for me, the amendments I would make to the college football uh, replay system is I think all the three plays that should be reviewed no matter what, in my opinion, or like there's someone kind of constantly always watching are touchdowns, first downs, and change of possession. I think that those three should always be looked at no matter okay. what. And then okay. after that, I've got no problem with that. After that, I feel like I would go to exactly what you're saying. Each coach, um, you get two challenges. I'm going to go three challenges though. I think what? in college, 
you should get okay. one more. And then if you do, you know, successfully uh, use a challenge, you retain it. Um, and then if you if you don't, if it's non-successful, then you lose, lose um, a timeout time out after that. But I think that college coaches should get one more um, challenge than the NFL. And then, like I said, every touchdown, first down, and change of possession should be reviewed on its own, essentially. Yeah, and that's still going to be a lot of potential, you know, stopping down and looking at things because again, just being honest, the college replay officials are not as good as the NFL replay officials almost by, you know, like it's, it's just nature that that's going to happen because you have so many more games on TV. You have to have more replay officials in college, which is obviously, which is also why you shouldn't be relying on them to, you know, to, to go back and, and take a look at, you know, and you shouldn't have to take a look at every close play, you know, is it a catch? Was it not a catch? Is he inbounds? Is it not inbounds? Make the coach have to challenge that, you know, like why, why is, why is college basically giving every coach a fail safe for all that stuff? Just use it. And then if you want to make it three instead of two, like you talked about, I've got no problem with that, but I think I think they need an actual challenge system in college football that's at least similar to what they're using in the NFL. Hey, what about a two-minute warning? I, this is one that I saw suggested: create a two-minute warning. And I and now listen, listen for just a second. Let me lay out my case. <laughs> I've been opposed to it. I don't think that you need it. I mean, basically, the two-minute warning was created to give network TV a free commercial break, you know, like, especially if it's a close game at the end of the game, you know, it's boom, you're at the two minute warning now because, you know, with this new clock rule that's coming in this year at the end of each half, you've, you know, they're going to, okay. So let let me go back first as I was, what are you looking at by the way? (laughs) My other screen with notes on it. You have like a map over there or something. So, they're going on first downs. They're going to spot the ball, and the clock is going to keep running. It's not going to be like you know what, what we've been used to in college football, where the clock stops, you know, after a first down. So it's it's going to keep moving. But in the last two minutes of each half, you're going to have a uh, you know a, a running clock like it used to be. Basically, they're going to revert back to the old system to kind of speed things a little bit. So for that reason. Since the rules are going to change on the field at the end of each half with under two minutes to go, it kind of makes sense for college football to have a two-minute warning now because there's actually, you know, the rule is going to change on the field. What do you think about that? Yeah, I understand where you're coming from because there's going to be less stoppage of time. And so that's essentially why the NFL has a two-minute warning is because it's been, you know, it's just an extra free timeout before the end of, you know, the second quarter and the fourth quarter. And if you're eliminating, you know, the stoppage of clock after first downs and et cetera, I have no problem adding a two minute warning. I guess what I'm saying is I would like it's not I'm not like upset if it doesn't change. Essentially, like, it, it would be a nice added bonus considering all of the extra stoppage that's going to be out now um, or, or I guess removed from the game. And so it, it logically makes sense to add some sort of two minute warning. And again, I like I like the transition of rules. So if you're going to, you know, start to convert to more of like an NFL style with some of these rules, 
I think that you should also get the benefits of the NFL rules that they're following, a.k.a. add a two-minute warning. Yeah. That's what, you know, like I said, in general, I have been opposed to college football going to a two-minute warning, but because of the fact that they're changing the rules and and Tyler's saying get rid of the stoppage on first downs, they are. That's They, they are changing that as of this year. There's not going to be, you know, they – they stop it just long enough to spot the ball. As soon as they spot the ball, the clock is running once again. So it's going to be different. You know, they are going to be doing it a little bit differently. Irish Gordian Knot says, why don't we have chips in balls so you can get higher level stats about ball throw speed, rotations, overall distance traveled, etc." Also would be able to sense if it hits the ground. Uh, yeah, so but, this is a big one that I've been, you know, saying needs to happen for a long time. And it's exactly this reason. There's too many, and especially watching, and this goes to the NFL, college, whatever level you want to watch, there's so many games where it's just almost a guess whether that where that ball stops in terms of breaking the plane of the first down or the goal line. And essentially what you can do is create like a laser between, you know, with the first down line. And if the chip in the ball crosses it at any time, well, you know, you've gained a first down or you've crossed right. the goal line. Right. And you've seen like a prime example is Ohio state and Michigan, whatever year that was on the quarterback sneak. And everyone was in an uproar about whether or not he got the first down or not. That, that to me is an easy one. I've seen, I swear every year it happens to the Cowboys in the NFL where Dak is trying to, you know, get a first down across the goal line. And it looks clear and obvious that he's crossed it, but somehow he's come up short. So I, I like this idea. And it's also, it, it's introduced stuff that I stuff that I haven't considered before, AKA, you know, like the spin rotation, um, being able to sense where, whether or not it hit the ground or not. And I think that's important too. Well, not only catches and regulation, but when the ball hits the out of bounds and when the clock should stop, you know, based on when the ball, you know, hits out of bounds, essentially. From what I understand, there are already chips in NFL balls. They're just not using it, like, for any practical purpose, you know, that we can see on TV right now. I think they're gathering data, basically, you know, to, to kind of see whatever, you know, like, I, I think they're kind of checking some of this stuff, gathering data, seeing, you know, how accurate it is, how successful it is, all this different stuff. I think we're getting closer to that. But they're just not there quite yet. I, you know, I don't know if there are chips in college ball. You know, like in stuff like the speed rotation and stuff like that. I think a lot of that stuff is being done as well. It's just that it's not being shared with any of us because that's all, you know, like analytical data. You know, just like spin rate with a baseball pitcher and and all that. You know, launch angle and all those different things. I think some of that is being collected by the individual teams it's just that we don't you know get to see very much of that yet right going back to the replay josh says challenge rule isn't much different you just call a timeout instead of throwing a red flag get the timeout back if it's a good challenge and another challenge i'd like to see two challenges be a staple though and like but again it's also like in addition to yeah you can call a timeout and ask them to look but at the same time Every single play is up for, you know, up for review in a college football game because the booth can still review any play 
they want. The difference in the NFL is you have an actual coach's challenge system. You throw your red flag. You know, we went through it, you know, with the timeouts, you lose one, you know, whatever. But not every play is up for review in the NFL. Right now in college, every play is up for review. And that's what I'm saying. Take that away and just go to a more standard coach's challenge system like the NFL has. You know, it's it it's really not that hard. It, it shouldn't be anyway. But and that's I, I guess college that's the makes overall, it yeah, that's that's the overall frustration about everything is college seems to make things way harder when there's a literal blueprint out there for right. how the NFL does it. And it's much more effective. The games are smoother. It seems as if there's less controversial calls. Like, don't get me wrong. No system is going to be absolutely perfect. Like, there's still times in the NFL where, like, we're like, oh, are you sure? But I feel like it's way less often as compared, you know, to college. It seems like college just every it, – it, it seems like a lot of the big plays are often not not successfully called or, like, handled or treated properly, I guess is the best way to put it. Chi-Town says if the NCAA really cares about player safety, get rid of the regular season overtime and make postseason overtime sudden death. So then you're going to have <laughs> well, then there's going to be too many ties at the like there could be ties that could influence the playoffs, I think, is what what would ultimately be the downside to that. Well, the crazy thing is, like, they changed this overtime system a couple of years ago to this whole, you know, now you're you know going from extra point distance and all that kind of stuff. And supposedly it was about cutting down on plays and player safety. But now you've got six and seven overtime games as a result. And uh, yeah, I definitely don't want to go back to we've got ties in the regular season. I don't want that. But I also don't like the current system that they're playing with. And, you know, if you went to sudden death, then that means you've got the argument that we, you know, had in the playoffs that they, you know, that they've tweaked the overtime rules in the playoffs. You go to sudden death, then that means that conceivably one team's not going to have the ball. And then you're going to get a big uproar, especially, you know, in the post, you know, because he's saying do sudden death in the postseason. You know, sudden death always sounded fun growing up. Sudden death overtime, you know, in my pet Summerall. Like it sounded <laughs> cool to say sudden death, but at the same time, that means that, you know, first team to score is going to be the winner. And that, you know, what that used to mean in the NFL is all you had to do is go down and kick a field goal. There was no guarantee that the other team was ever going to touch the ball. And we've seen plenty of that. You know, we've saw plenty of it in the playoffs over the last few years where one team didn't get to touch the ball and there was so much of an uproar, they finally changed the rules. So I, I especially wouldn't want to do that, you know, like in, in college football playoff games where you're going to deny one team potentially the chance to possess the ball like i said sudden death sounds cool but you want to make sure like especially you know if you're a notre dame fan which you know 99 percent of our audience obviously is notre dame fans if notre dame's in the playoff and they lose a sudden death game because they didn't get to touch the ball i guarantee you the next day or in the post game show everyone's going to be complaining about the overtime rule like is there anyone who's not going to be complaining about it yeah the overtime rule is such a a trippy a trippy tricky topic and i will never be in favor of sudden death rules i actually wish that the nfl would go to more of a system uh like college but i will say the the rule amendment i would make and if you don't like it that's whatever um in regular season i feel as if each team essentially you should go through 
three rounds of overtime. Um, there would be no going for two. You can go for two if you want to. Um, you can score a touchdown, kick a field goal. But after three overtimes, you would start essentially what I would call a field goal kicking off. Um, and then from there, you would start at the 35-yard line. Each kicker has got to make one from the 35, and then you go to the 40, then you go to the 45. You start back up in five-yard increments. You back up five yeah. yards, and whoever misses first ends up losing. I think that's the quickest way. You still get three overtimes to decide The quickest it. way isn't the best way. Do you want to put everything <laughs> on your kicker with that much on the line? I do, because I, I think that, again, special teams is a third of the game. Um, and I do think that if, if we're going to keep around, you know, the aspect of kicking, um, I, I think that you can you can put that kind of uh, leverage on your kicker. I think it puts kickers get court. scholarships, too. That's yeah, what I mean. Like, kickers you know, are good. Yeah. It's, it's a part of having a good team. I mean, look at look at Ohio State. If they have a good field goal kicker, they beat, you know, they, they win that playoff game. I think that it's a part of having a good team. It's you got to have a field goal kicker to win you some games in crunch time. And if you've already gone through three overtimes and you've let it come down to a kickoff, well, that's your own problem. So I think that it is something that would be fun um, and it would get the games, you know, you, we wouldn't have to sit through, you know, all these six overtimes and two point conversions and keeping track of, you know, this and that you get three overtimes. And then after that, you get, you, you start a kicking competition. Ty is bringing a lot of, you know, I like the fact that you're involved. You're bringing a lot of fresh ideas here, Ty. The soccer stuff. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to, I'm not going to soccer rules for, for football. Just back me out on that one. I'm not going to soccer rules for overtime. The closest, um, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with, uh, with, with what you're saying about the field goals, the more I think about it, because again, you, you're giving the kicker a scholarship. He's on scholarship, just like the defensive end and the quarterback and the running back and whoever it happens to be. So put it on him. You know, that's what he's there for. Make, make kicks in crunch time. Going back to the instant replay, Josh is asking, so you're saying limit what can be challenged. Yes, because right now in college football, conceivably every single play of every game can go to review by the instant replay booth. And I'm saying do away with that and put it all on the coaches just like the NFL. You know, all on the coaches for the majority of the game, the only uh, the, the only difference being the only exception is the last two minutes of the game when at that point everything goes to the booth. And then, like you're saying, change of possession, scoring plays, and what was the other one? Possession? Uh, scoring, first downs, and change of first possession. First downs, yeah. Like, yeah, like those can go to the booth and then the final two minutes. Otherwise, just coaches, coaches challenge system. You know, you sh you shouldn't be – Sitting there, you know, everyone's going up to the line of scrimmage. The coach isn't even wanting to challenge something, but all of a sudden the replay booth wants to look at, you know, was was the guy's knee down. The coach should the, the coach should be responsible for having to challenge that. They are in the NFL. And, you know, like you said, Jess, if you want to add a challenge, make it three in college or even four, as opposed to the two that, that coaches get in the NFL. But you can earn a third in the NFL, I think, if you win the first two. But you know, put it on the coaches, make it an actual challenge system. Stop making every single play reviewable. 
in college football. Yeah, because then at any point a coach can just say, hey, I want to stop and review this, and then they, they essentially can get a, a free timeout out of it, right? And it could be a yep. very crucial moment. And you could, as a coach, honestly, I would use it as, you know, even if I think it's close or not, again, if you want to stop momentum or get a breather real quick, you can always just say, hey, you know, we want to challenge this play. Josh is saying, well, they can't challenge penalties. I'm not saying they can. I'm just saying, you know what can be challenged in college. There's there's too much that's up for review. They need to do away with that. Tyler, eliminate the back-to-back timeout. That is another thing that is coming to college football this year. They are eliminating back-to-back timeouts being called. So uh, that'll be that'll be a little bit different. So uh, something else to get ready for. Um, what do you think about down by contact in college? Like currently in college, if the quarterback, you know, if a player slips, he's got the ball, he's down where his knee comes down. Should they have to be down by contact? Should they have to be touched by a defender like, like, uh, you have in the NFL to actually be down? Should they be able to get back up if they're not touched? Yeah, this is another stupid rule. In my opinion, I have no reason, or I have no idea why this is a rule in college, but not the NFL, because there are so many circuit like circumstances where uh, falling down isn't really controllable by the player. It has more to do with the playing condition of the field. Like if you're playing on a crappy field and you're cutting and you cut so hard that you fall down, but you're in open space, like how should you be penalized for that? Right? Like nothing made you fall except the natural kind of, I guess, resources around you. Um, so yeah, I, I've always found that one stupid. There's if if no one touches you and you go down on your by yourself, then you should just be able to get back up, right? Like no one, no one did anything to tackle you. No one, you know, there's no contact, there's no forcible action. And so if you slip and fall or you make a cut and you slip and fall or you know whatever it might be, you should be able to get right back up uh, yeah. and, and keep going. I I completely agree. I mean, this is it's it's big boy. Division one football. There's no reason they shouldn't. You want to you want to keep, you know, the current role like it is in high school. That's fine. But by the time you get to college, to college, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to get back up after you slip. I I have no idea why they've stuck with it this way, other than well, that's the way we've always done it. That's kind of basically the way it is. I, I agree with everything that you just said. That's why I brought it up, and I think that uh, you know. I think that that's the way I would go. I don't understand exactly why they still do it that way. What about two feet down, though? Like, I I, I still think one foot down in college football is good as opposed to two feet down in the NFL. What do you think? So I, I also agree with that one because, to me, that's a leap that you make from going, like, amateur to professional. And that to, and there's two there's two factors to that. As a wide receiver, you have to make the jump from amateur to professional. But in college, you still have a college quarterback throwing to it. So it's just not going to be, you know, quite as accurate as and, and precise. So those ones that you really have to, you know, go up and reach for because of maybe a bad pass on, on some of them. I don't think that you should be, you know, penalized for that. But when you get to the NFL, it's we're all, you know, pros at this point. We're pro quarterbacks. We're pro wide receivers. Like those throws are on the money. And in order for it to be a catch, I, I do like the idea of having to have two feet down. Completely agree. Completely agree with that. What do um, you, I, I want to ask you on what, 
What do okay. you think of preseason rankings? I'll tell you kind of what my format would be, and then we can maybe go from there. But I think that there should be a pre-preseason rankings, maybe like an idea of your top 25, and that never gets released. I think the coaches and AP can do their polls, and then after four weeks, a third of the season, I you think you do stop. another. You do no, you you do another set of rankings, and then you do kind of a compare and contrast of where they were beginning of the season and where they were four four weeks in, and then you kind of come up with the final ranking after that. But I think rankings shouldn't be released until the first month of the season is completely over. See, like DT is saying, zero preseason rankings, and that's kind of what you're saying as well. I don't, I don't have a problem with it because it gives us something to talk about going into the season. Yeah, but then and- I just feel like a lot of teams get hyped up. and The, the only reason preseason rankings happen is so that the first couple weeks of the, game, of the season, big, quote-unquote, big games can have, you know, 10 versus 5, and it'll draw a much bigger crowd. But realistically – you know, those two teams probably aren't a 10 or a five, you know, and to me, it's the only reason that they do these is to hype up more of the matchups. That's probably true. But at the same time, like, do they really matter that much? You know, and maybe that's kind of part of your argument that they don't matter that. I mean, look at TCU. TCU is not a top 10 team going into last season. Cincinnati was not top 10, you know, the season before that, but both of them ended up in the college football playoff because, as they won, they worked their way up the rankings and they ended up, you know, where where they should have been. Now, granted, you know, 95% or even more of where you are heading into a season is based on what you did the season before. And, you know, you can also argue that a lot of people who are doing the voting aren't actually paying, you know, that much <laughs> close enough attention, you know, to what's actually going on. With the team, so you're saying you wait four weeks until you put out your first rankings. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that you can put together, you know, like your rough draft of where you think teams are going to stand. Uh, but I don't think that that should be released to the public. And I, I just think that after four weeks, you have a better understanding of of who is who. You know, like it's. I just don't think that with the current system, you know, it's just all a guess. Like we. We could very easily go out there and say what we think our top, you know, list is, but maybe that's the whole point. Maybe it's, you know, it is just everyone's best guess. And then you kind of just have to work its way out, you know, once the season starts. But I just think it, it it gives a lot of these teams, you know, false. And that's the main thing is it gives a lot of fans and fan bases false expectations and realities of maybe where their season stands based off of these preseason polls. And then you get a, you know, you get four games in and your team is two and two when you were supposed to be the number 15 team in the country, 10 yeah. team in the country. And so then it's just like, I don't know. I, I just think it, it creates a lot of, it, it, it can create a lot of false expectations and hope. And maybe that's just the sport in general. Um, but I get, I just, I don't well, know. I, nothing really good comes from the preseason rankings, in my opinion. Most of the early part of the schedule anyway You know, like, look at what Notre Dame's playing right off the bat. Navy, Tennessee State, Central Michigan. Like, what more are you going to find out about? Like, so if they obliterate those teams, well, they should obliterate those teams. If they struggle at all, it's it's just an excuse to have them down around 15th. (laughs) Right? Like, I don't know. I've got no problems with the polls because I think that – I think – in the end, it all goes out in the wash. It ends up where it's supposed to be eventually 
anyway. You earn your way on. You 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 keep winning, you end up where you're supposed to be most of the time. You start losing some games, that's when it changes. But just winning, it takes care of itself, I think, more times than not. What about, and I just saw this one pop up, and I saw, like, Ty is saying, allow preseason scrimmages. And another one that I saw is, if you're going to play FCS opponents, make those, like, put those at the start of your season, and that's your scrimmage. So you can play an FCS, but that's a scrimmage instead of an actual game. What do you think of those possibilities? So the the scrimmage is going to get into a lot of kind of, you know, what we saw recently in the the newest NFL contracts between the, you know, the NFL and the NFLPA and the amount of preseason games and et cetera. I just think it becomes a liability and extra mileage on the body uh, for some players. So I'm okay with scrimmages, but I think that they should be more of a seven on seven format. I don't know that I want full on, you full know, contact, full risk contact, of injury type stuff. risk of injury. Like, well, who's to say if you're, you know, you're Alabama and you're playing an FCS team, the last thing you want in a scrimmage is for a guy to go down with the season ending injury because you're going full blown, full contact. So I'm okay with scrimmages, but I, it would be more of like a, a controlled scrimmage, right? Like seven on seven, maybe wrap up. No, you know, no full thud, no full taken down to the ground. That kind of stuff. That would be, I guess, my if you wanted to do scrimmages, that's kind of how I would look at it. Yeah, I I think most coaches would kind of like the opportunity to have a preseason scrimmage rather than go into a season cold, especially depending on who you're playing. But I get what you're saying about the injury. You are, you know, you are risking more body shots. And essentially, if you're going to make them exhibitions as opposed to a real game, then I think coaches are going to want to minimize any risk that they have. And in that case, they're just going to say, well, get rid of it now. So I think that that makes sense. Just keep it with, with what they are. Give everybody a few cream puffs. You know, it's we can't even criticize it anymore after early September rolls around and they play Tennessee State. <laughs> You know, we used to be able to, we still can say right now, Notre Dame's never played an FCS opponent, but that's going to change here pretty soon. So, yeah, it's, it's still a sore subject for me. I, I think that there, I, I understand the rationale uh, behind it, but I still, I'm not on board with it. You know, I agree. I agree. Like, I understand what Marcus Freeman's trying to do and what he's trying to promote. But I still think that you can do those things without playing an FCS team. I think that's something that Notre Dame has prided themselves, obviously, on for a very long time. And if you're going to not be in a conference and have the possibility for a conference championship, then you can't you can't take away from one of those 12 data points by playing an FCS team. Because to me, the the, the counter argument is, you know, for all the like the Alabamas and the Michigans that make, you know, their conference championships. Well, a lot of those teams do play an FCS team, right? Or, or maybe a, a division one double A or, or, you know, something along those lines. So it's like those kind of negate each other, right? Because that conference championship is basically your 12th data point because you did play an FCS team. Well, if Notre Dame plays an FCS team, their 12 data point goes down to an 11 data point. So now you're no longer equal. That argument is no longer valid, right? Because you're saying, well, 
you guys, yes, you play a conference championship, but one of those games is an FCS team. We played, you know, predominantly all Division One opponents, so the 12 equals 12 at the end of the day. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com